Hey, would you turn with me to, in your Bibles to the, uh, to the book of Galatians? Um, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, it's in the New Testament. Um, you can ask the person next to you for help or flip to the, to the front where the table of contents is. If you came without a Bible, there are Bibles on the back table next to our offering box. Um, I am very excited today to begin this new series that we're calling The Gospel for Life. The reason we're calling that will, will become evident as we travel through this book. Um, but we'll be, we'll be exploring the book of Galatians for the next 13 weeks, including today. It's going to take us all the way through the fall season, which is actually, it, isn't it hard to believe that it's September? <laughs> it's unbelievable. So we have a new month, a new series, a new autumn season approaching. It's that time of the year when the air gets crisp and the leaves start changing color. And if you are like me... Uh, we take a, uh, well, I, I speak for myself, I take my annual journey through Middle Earth during this time of year as I watch the Lord of the Rings movies, because I totally geek out on the Lord of the Rings movies, um, and I thought I would open up with an illustration from the Lord of the Rings. How fitting is that? So it, there's a scene in the first movie, right? Fellowship of the Ring. There's a scene in the first movie where, where Frodo... And, and this company, there's two men, there's a dwarf and an elf. It is as nerdy as it sounds, uh, but they're, they're all together. They're about to undertake the, the dangerous quest of returning the ring to Mordor, to, to Mount Doom, to destroy it, to destroy all of its unwieldy power. But just before they venture out on their quest, on their journey, they end up in a place called Rivendell, where there's, there's, this, there's this elven woman who, named, named Lady Galadriel, and she, she says this. It's, just don't get caught up on the geeky soundingness of it, all right? It's, it's so good. It's so good. But she says this to Frodo and the company of people around him. She says this, your quest meaning your desire to go and destroy this ring. Your quest stands upon the edge of a knife. Stray but a little, and it will fail to the ruin of all. Yet, she says, hope remains while company, while this group is true. In other words, Lady Galadriel says to Frodo, there is no room for error. Frodo. Uh, you and your comrades, what you are setting out to do, the stakes are too high, the cost is too great, there is only one chance to get this right. So Frodo, stay true, give yourself entirely to the task at hand, make the completion of this mission your highest priority. And as we shall see as we venture through the book of Galatians, what Lady Galadriel says to Frodo is not Unlike what the Apostle Paul says to the churches to whom he's writing in the book of Galatians. The quest stands on the edge of a knife. We'll, we'll get to that. Hold that visual in your mind. See, the book of Galatians is actually a letter that was written by a Jewish man named Paul around the year 50 AD to a group of struggling churches, massively struggling church, churches that, that, are, that were scattered throughout the region of the world that we now know as Turkey, okay? So geographically speaking, that's kind of where we're at. Now, Paul was an eyewitness of Christ. 
He was personally commissioned by Christ to go and proclaim God's word, the good news to the Gentiles, which is just a a, a, a biblical term for the non-Jewish nations surrounding Israel, the non-Jewish people. But let's just rewind just, just a tiny bit more to get the narrative context, okay? I'm setting up the scene for this book of Galatians that we're about to dive into. So roughly 15 years before it was written, Jesus Christ had been publicly crucified in Jerusalem for claiming to be the Messiah. He had also been publicly resurrected because according to the book of 1 Corinthians, he appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses who were all mobilized to go and tell the world what they had seen, namely that Jesus, the man who claimed to be the Son of God, was, was risen. He, he was alive. Now, this was not welcomed news to the religious leaders of the day who denied that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Okay? This was especially the true for, for, for the, in the case of Paul, who was a Pharisee. Saul, Paul, it's the same man. Now, as many of us know, before the writing of Galatians, 15 years or so earlier, Paul had made it his personal mission to snuff out this growing movement of people known as Christians. He ravaged the early churches. He dragged professing followers of Christ into the streets. He beat them. He commissioned their murder. In Acts chapter 7, we read of Paul's murder of Stephen. Stephen was essentially uh, the deacon of hospitality in the early church. He was a godly man, follower of Christ, who would help to distribute and serve food. It's not unlike the way we do in our cafe at the end of every Sunday gathering. For, For years, Paul was an insolent opponent. The man who wrote this letter to the Galatians was an insolent opponent of Jesus Christ and his followers. Until one day, and many of us know this story, as Paul was traveling to the city of Damascus on a witch hunt for more Christians, the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, appeared to Paul face to face. And his appearance was so radiant, it was so brilliant and bright and beautiful that Paul was blinded at the sight of Jesus for three days. We recalling the story? Now, an interesting aside is that we'll see in Galatians chapter 4 that Paul's eyes were never the same after this. His eyes suffered. That's just an interesting aside. But, but his heart was never the same either. Because it was through this encounter on the road to Damascus... And the Apostle Paul had this interaction with God, the Son himself. It was through this interaction that Paul, no pun intended, would come to see the light. He would come to to hear the gospel. And the, the word gospel, if you are unfamiliar with that term, it simply means good news. Gospel means Good news. He would hear good news proclaimed from the mouth of God himself. And this was the good news to Paul. That even a self-righteous murderer of Christians like Paul could be forgiven of his sin 
and granted new and abundant and everlasting life through faith in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Paul believed this gospel. He believed this good news. And then, like a missionary church planting ninja pastor... Paul went on to spread this good news of Jesus throughout the known world. Even through floggings and beatings and being stoned nearly to death. Even through imprisonment and shipwreck and slander and false accusation. And even through his ultimate execution, Paul, as well as many of the other apostles, could not deny who he had seen and what he had heard with his own two eyes with his own two ears all of his life was lived in response to that exchange his face-to-face meeting with king jesus on his way to damascus now on on one of paul's first big missionary journeys he traveled northwest of israel to a large Roman province known as Galatia. And there he preached the good news, and there God saved more people, and there God raised up, through Paul, more leaders, and thus a handful of churches were planted in the Galatian cities of Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Pisidian Antioch, and maybe more. And so... Our audience in this letter, in the book of Galatians, when we say the Galatians, we're referring to men and women and children who follow Jesus Christ, who follow the way at one of many potential churches, maybe in Iconium, maybe Lystra, maybe Derby, maybe Pisidian Antioch. What Paul is writing in Galatians is a circular letter. He would send it to a city. The city would write it all down. They would read it in front of the whole church. And then it would go to the next city and the next city and the next city. So it's most likely to these churches, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Pisidian, Antioch. It's most likely to these churches that Paul is writing what we call the book of Galatians. But the occasion for his writing is not good. It is not good. These young churches are in serious trouble. So how's that for starting out on a note like that? Right? So let's, let's read, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, the letter of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you 
and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We will end there this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, by your Holy Spirit, please soften our hearts to receive what you're saying to us in your word this morning. I ask that you'd humble me, that I might use simple and clear language by your grace. Convict me where I stand. Convict this church. Lead us to the gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen. So does anyone else feel the weight, feel the gravity of these first nine verses? I mean, before Paul even finishes his opening salutation, he jumps into like a full-fledged rebuke. Like none of, other Paul, none of Paul's other letters opens with such intensity as this. I mean, the language in, in verse 6 alone, I am astonished. And then he uses words like accursed, which, which should translate damned, condemned. He uses it in verses 8 and 9 twice. Now, now here's what's going on, because before we even venture a, fur, a, a little bit further, we've got to understand what is going on. It wasn't long after Paul had planted these churches in the region, the province of Galatia, that he received word that some other religious leaders known as Judaizers had come to the churches that he had planted. They'd come through Galatia to preach and teach and instruct. Now, these Judaizers were apparently following Paul's every footstep. And they claimed to be followers of Christ. They even preached this. Forgiveness of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. I mean, they were like a really good cover band. The the Judaizers, they looked and sounded like the real thing. And the young Christians and the young churches in Galatia were convinced that these guys were legit when in fact they were wolves. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. They were religious traditionalists. Probably they had traveled from Jerusalem. They were infiltrating these young churches that were impressionable right after Paul in order to add just one little thing to Paul's gospel that he had left them with. The Judaizers just wanted to add one little caveat to the the good news of the gospel. And here's the gist of it. In order to be truly right with God, truly right, In order for you and I to be truly pleasing to God, we must, of course, have faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, we must trust that Christ died and, and was raised on our behalf. But we must also 
continue to obey God's Old Testament laws in order to be truly accepted. Are we hearing the careful choice of language that I am using? If we were to put it in modern day language, it would sound like this. This is what the Judaizers were preaching to the churches in Galatia. You need to essentially look like a Christian before you can become one. In addition to trusting Jesus, you need to follow. In addition to trusting Jesus, at the same time, you need to follow a few rules, a few religious customs, a few ceremonial and dietary customs, but that's it. By all means, continue to believe Paul's gospel, they were saying. Continue to trust that forgiveness and salvation are yours in Jesus. Just don't forget to perform these religious acts. Just don't forget that. If you want to be truly pleasing, if you want to be truly right before God, you've got to include that part. And then God will be pleased. And then you'll be a true Christian. Now, I don't... I don't want to do a show of hands. But I imagine that to some of us here, that sounds about right. I mean, it makes sense that in order to become a Christian, we should probably first look like a Christian, right? I mean, that that does make sense. Before, Before Jesus can forgive us, we need to probably cuss less and pray more. Before we go to church, we need to, you know, comb our hair and be on our best behavior because that's what's going to make us truly acceptable before God. That, that does kind of sound right, right? About two months ago, my family and I were eating at our favorite establishment, Chick-fil-A. And a woman came by the table who was working there and she said, I saw that you were praying, are you Christians? Yes, we are. She says, as am I. And I said, really? What, what's your story? She said, well, I've been a follower of, of Jesus my whole life until about six months ago I got into a horrendous car accident. Horrendous. And she says, I remember that the car was flipping over and over and over and over again. And right then and there I called out to Jesus and I said, oh, Jesus, I hope what I have done is enough to get in. She said, oh God, I want to be with you in your kingdom. Let it be that I have done enough to get in. And then she told me that that's the reason why God spared her life in the crash that day is because she hadn't yet done enough. And so he was giving her a second chance, a second lease on life, if you will, to do better. And the word that she quoted was, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Now that is humorous for about 0.3 seconds, and then we realize how damning and dreadful that is. Because, brothers and sisters, I don't care what you have heard. I don't care who told you. I don't care if it was the Pope himself. That is not the gospel. That is not good news. 
if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, is slavery. It is bondage, and it strips us of any assurance we might have for forgiveness and acceptance before God, and it makes Christ out to be a liar who from the cross said that it is finished, that everything that we need for atonement, for complete and total forgiveness and acceptance, He did. He did it all. He did not say from the cross, it is almost finished. He did not say, now go and cuss less, pray more, don't watch R-rated movies, give more offerings. He did not say, I've done my part, now you go. And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Forgive me, take this the right way, to hell with that. That is the message of the Antichrist. I don't mean to be so intense here, but I do. That is, that anti-gospel is plaguing Northeast Ohio. It's the very message that the young Christians in Galatia were starting to believe, and Paul was horrified. Which is the entire reason why he wrote this letter. The entire reason. The entire book of Galatians is Paul's urgent, Holy Spirit-driven attempt to set the record straight. It is an urgent plea. And oh my goodness, is it ever relevant for a time such as this. The language makes me gasp when I read it sober-mindedly. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some looking at you, Judaizers, who trouble you and who want to. Look at the motive. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. But he says this, even if we, even if Barnabas and I came back, even if Silas and I on another round came back, if we preach to you a different message, let us even be accursed. You hear how he's, he's standing by the gospel? Or an angel. If an angel comes to preach to you a different gospel, hello, Joseph Smith and the Mormon world. If an angel comes to preach to you a different gospel, he is anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be damned to hell forever. The only reason why I'm bringing intensity today is because the Holy Spirit thought that was appropriate through Paul in this day. This is an an intense word. Buckle up for the next 13 weeks while we go through the book of Galatians. Paul, in the opening words, in his opening salutation and the first paragraph of this letter, we might not have noticed it on the first round, but he actually opens with two colossal claims. And these are my two points for the next probably five minutes. I'm sorry to end on my points, but that's how it's going to happen today. Number one, if we were to really look at what Paul is saying, the first thing he's saying is that there is no other gospel. There is no other message. There is no other good news by which man can be saved. There is not. I don't care how relativistic our modern day culture is. Your truth is not just your truth and mine is not just mine and you can't just do you. 
We've got to do Jesus. The second thing that Paul is essentially saying is that, well, there's no other gospel by which man can be saved because God says so. The second point is there's no higher authority than God on which to stand. There is no other gospel by which man can be saved and there is no higher authority on which to stand. Let's look at number one briefly. He lays the gospel message out perfectly clear in the first five verses of this letter. Believe it or not, he doesn't jump to the rebuke. He actually, he actually communicates what we ought to believe in the first five verses. In his greeting, in verse 1, he draws our attention to Jesus Christ, God the Son, and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. He is drawing our attention toward the resurrection of Jesus. The thing that 500 witnesses saw the thing that spurred a movement that changed our calendar that still impacts us today. He draws our attention to the resurrection. Then he extends grace and peace to the Galatians and to us in verse 3. And this grace and peace is from God the Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins in order to deliver us, to deliver us. From the present evil age. Pause there. So now we see that the precursor to the resurrection that he mentioned in verse 1. Is the willful offering of Jesus for our deliverance from our sins. The deliverance from us from the, from the grip of darkness and evil that defines this present age. Paul continues. He goes on to remind the Galatians and us that all of this. All of this was done according to the will of God that he might be glorified forever and ever. I'm not making this up. Are you seeing it? Are, are we seeing it in the text? Okay, good. This is the gospel. Th- this is the good news for the Galatians and for you and I. Now let me repeat all of that back to you in reverse order. All of that back. The all-glorified God who exists forever... Creator God of the universe who was betrayed by Adam and Eve and all of mankind when we turned our backs to him in disobedience and willingly entered this evil age. That all-glorifying creator God of the universe who is grieved by our sin, he saw it fit and willed that we would not perish in our sin. That we would not be separated from him forever. This, this God willed that we, that a people would be brought near. And so God the Son came down. He entered into this evil age. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, willingly surrendered himself to die on a cross as a substitute. See, some, someone, someone needed to be punished for our murder and our lust and our greed and our gossip So God the Son, He gave Himself, verse 4, He gave Himself for our sins. Now He did this not to just give us a little nudge in the right direction. He didn't just come to be an example. He didn't just come to make salvation possible. He gave Himself for our sins in order to deliver us from the present evil age. Signed, sealed, delivered. It is 
finished. And remember, all of this, according to Paul, is according to the will of God. The will. It, it, was, it was all his plan. But the gospel doesn't end with Jesus dead on a cross. The exclamation point to the it is finished of the cross is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. Which is precisely why Paul opened this letter in verse 1. By drawing our attention to the resurrection. Because Jesus is in fact alive. He is alive. The Son of God is risen. And the Bible tells us that He is now once again seated at the right hand of God the Father. And He's advocating for those of us who trust in the sacrificial work that He's already done. We're not here searching for what else needs to be done. We're not looking for anything that we need to do in order to secure forgiveness and salvation. What could, let me just ask you this, what could we possibly do anyway that would add to what God the Son has already done? Lived an immaculately perfect sinless life died in our place an excruciating death of crucifixion, conquered that death by raising to life, what else could we possibly want to add or be able to add to that? How are we going to improve upon that? If there was anything that you and I could do in and of ourselves that would have improved our situation with God, if there was anything that we could do in and of ourselves that would have gotten us accepted by God, then Christ, he wouldn't have had to die. Paul says, if there was anything that we could do, Christ died for no purpose. And throughout the rest of this letter, this is exactly what Paul is going to drive home. The The thesis statement of the letter to the Galatians, I believe is is chapter 2, verse 16. Paul drives home the point of the entire book very clear. That a person is not justified. What's that word mean? Justified. When we try to justify ourselves. Think of it in terms of a legal word in the court of law that that a judge looks down on an absolutely guilty, guilty party, for him to say, you are justified, is to say, you are cleared, you are innocent, you are white as snow. You have no place in the courtroom. Get out of the courtroom. You are not on trial any longer. A person is not justified by works of the law, Paul writes in chapter 2.16. A person is not pronounced innocent by works. A person is not forgiven by God. A person is not accepted by God because of anything that he or she does, period. Full stop. Full stop. There is nothing that we do that makes us acceptable to God. Nothing. But through faith in what Jesus Christ has already done. It is by grace that you are saved, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2. 
It is by grace, unmerited favor, free gift. It is by grace that you are saved and forgiven and justified through faith. This is, none of this is of your own doing, he says. It is not a result of your works. It could never be. It is the gift of God. It is a gift. And so the murderers who are among us this morning, the perverts who are among us, the money hoarders, the malicious gossips and the drunks, the pedophiles, the tax evaders, the liars, Jesus says to you this, I died so that you could live. The work is finished. It's all that's needed to be done. You have to do nothing but receive this forgiveness, receive new life. It's yours. It's free. It's forever. The gospel is, is scandalous. It's, a, is, it's offensive, is it not? But there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel by which we can be saved. It's either all grace or it's nothing. It, it, it's nothing. We, we've even tried to turn faith into a work. Right? I, I ask... Many people, what is your, what's your story? Well, I, you know, I came down to the altar. I, you know, I, the, the gospel came to my whole family and I, you know, I thought and reasoned to myself, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I, I came and I responded. I did this. I went and talked to the preacher man. That's my faith story. No, it's not. No, it is absolutely not. I'm going to actually take a tangent. I don't do this. I'm going to. I want to, I want to read to you your faith story. If you're here in Christ, this is your story. John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, God, gave the right to them to become children of God. Whoever believes, he gave the right to become children of God. Wait a minute. Who were born, not of the blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is called the doctrine of regeneration. This is called, your faith isn't even a work. It was a gift given to you because God was saving you. Hallelujah, yes and amen. So to put the exclamation point on it, there is nothing you and I do, because we're dead in our sins and trespasses, there's nothing we do whatsoever. We are laying here dead, And grace comes to us and makes us alive. And that changes the game forever. Because now we get to jump, not into justification, we're already justified. We get to jump into sanctification. Where now, Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Go after it. He's writing to people whose salvation has already been worked into. And now he says, work it out. So now we're justified Freely, we come before God. He sees us with the innocence of Jesus because grace came and woke our hearts up. And now, now we get to get to, we get to go to work. Now, iron gets to sharpen iron. Now, I get to exert faith-fueled effort and wake up in the morning and pursue Him like He has pursued me. All by His grace. I am not saying at all that Christians don't work. Christians don't become Christians for any work whatsoever, but we are saved unto good works which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does anybody, does that ring a bell? There is no other gospel by which we can be saved because God says so in this letter. 
and there is no higher authority than him on which we can stand. Why do we think that Paul begins this letter by citing his apostleship? Apostles were eyewitnesses of Christ, yes, but they were also personally commissioned by Christ to take the gospel of his kingdom to the world. Meaning this, Paul opens his letter to say this, his authority is not his own by which he writes this letter, it is God's. When apostles wrote, they were writing scripture. They were not writing by their own authority. They were writing by the authority and power of God, the Holy Spirit. Here's my point for us in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. God himself has spoken these words. God himself is reminding us this morning of the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. He is reminding us now. The gospel is better news than I think any of us probably recalled when we woke up this morning. The gospel is better news than any of us are even thinking it is right now. And I say that humbly because I look at my own life and I see how feebly I actually hold on to the good news. I see how prone to being a Galatian I am to desert him who called me by his grace so quickly in favor of what the Judaizers are trying to offer, which is Christ plus works equals salvation. When Christ, by his spirit, is screaming at us in the book of Galatians, no, 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 no. It's Christ plus nothing that equals everything, that equals salvation and grace. This gospel is such good news that the apostles and and the early church members, they willingly and joyfully went on to face excruciating deaths because they were unwilling to let go of it. And here's the thing that I would like to close with. This has weighed heavy on my heart this week. While many of us in this room would confidently say, I do not believe that I can earn my salvation. I would never try to earn my salvation. Church, can I say humbly, because I'm the one leading the parade, that we demonstrate the opposite with our conduct on on, on most days. Only through faith in Jesus Christ, only by trusting That his substitutionary death in our place, bearing our sin on the cross, that his substitutionary death and burial and resurrection is the belief in that is the only possible way that we can be saved. Like I said, grace is either all free or it's not. And I hesitate to say this, but it, was, it's, it has weighed on me so hard this week. Listen, there is a breed of Christianity that is walking among us. It's on every street corner. We know people in this breed of Christianity. 
where the leaders of the church, this is what they say, absolutely Christ crucified, resurrected, but absolutely we need to cooperate and we need to participate in our salvation. That is the Roman Catholic Church. That is their doctrine and it is heresy. And so what I am not saying is this. What I'm not saying is that there are people that every single Catholic that you know of is damned and going to hell. I'm not saying that. I am saying that there are probably more than I could even count men and women in the Catholic Church who are unaware of the official doctrinal statements of their church and their leaders and they are worshiping the Lord to the best of their ability. And I do believe that they are Christians. But what I am saying is if we were to really dive into the book of Galatians and study out the doctrine of justification, you could not stay in the Catholic Church and be a Christian. I am saying that. It is not a different branch of Christianity. It is a different religion. And Catholic theology has influenced the church maybe like no other because how comforting it is at the end of the day to leave this church and to think, I believe in Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, and I am very much cooperating Him with my works to get myself to heaven. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That is exactly what we're talking about. Only, only, Trusting Jesus' complete work finished. Only that can justify us before God. This is the gospel message. And because there is no other way through which we can be saved, getting the gospel right, go all the way back now to Frodo and Lady Galadriel, we stand on the edge of a knife because we want to add so quickly things to just simply receiving grace. Brothers and sisters, if you're here, whoever you are, would you just, with me today, receive what Jesus is offering. He wants you to bring all of your need so he can give you all of himself forever and ever and ever. It is as simple as that. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise, and I won't either. Amen? Let's pray. That got heavy, Lord, and it needed to. Um, because, well, we are surrounded with the temptation to try and cooperate with Jesus for our own salvation. And at that point in time, our motives are absolutely twisted because now we're trying to earn rather than simply worship you. Our motive becomes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray so that I will receive salvation. No, 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 no. What we get to do is we get to brew ourselves a nice, wonderful cup of coffee at five in the morning. We get to, for the delight of our hearts, having been saved by grace, we get to wake up and we get to press into you. Not to earn, to celebrate. Believing this stands on the edge of a knife. Help us to get it right. Help us to see that All we have, all we have is Christ. He is our boast and he will only ever be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.